Welcome one and all. I'm Chris Stone, the Virtual Agile Coach, and this is the Virtually Agile Podcast, the pod that shares conversations with Agile thought leaders, as well as amplifying newer voices. You'll hear about agility, virtual working, and everything in between. In today's episode, we talk about what makes a high-performing team, core protocols and psychological safety, as well as data-driven continuous improvement. If you find value in listening, don't forget to follow or subscribe on your platform of choice. It is really the best way to hear about the latest episodes as they land. Enjoy the show. Right, fellow Agilists, welcome to the first episode of season three and the latest installment of the Virtually Agile videocast. And as always on this podcast videocast, we aspire for neurodiversity and amplification of voices that are seldom heard as well as featuring established thought leaders. Now, in the interest of customer centricity, today's guest was requested by one of our listeners. He's an author of two books, High Performance Teams, The Foundations and The Core Protocols, A Guide to Greatness. He's a podcast host himself, a speaker and trainer. I'm very pleased to welcome Richard Kasparowski to the show. How are you, Richard? Hey there. Hey, Chris. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. It's great to have you along. Now, um, to those of you, uh, you know, the listeners who are less familiar with your work, Richard, please tell us a little bit more about yourself and your, your journey with agility. Sure. Uh, exactly what you said. And um, how did I get into this agile stuff? Uh, a long time ago, I was a software developer writing code every day with people and, and having a lot of fun. And uh, way back when the the, the first popular extreme programming book came out, XP Explained. Uh, folks I was working with, we we bought copies of it, we read it, we started doing some of those things. And we had a lot of fun. We had even more fun working together. And uh, and, and the code we wrote was was so much better. And, and that was part of the fun we had. We, we were, our, our work was so much better um, that, that we couldn't stop doing it. I, I couldn't stop doing it. And uh, so that, that was, that was you know, sort of like the, the technical agility things that we pulled from XP. And then I rose as a, a team leader, project leader, manager, and I started discovering the, the, the more businessy or, or project management side of things, which we might frame as Scrum, and had more great results, just, just doing Scrum by the book with people and adding on these, these technical agility things. I got more and more from there. So that's, that's agile. And, and from there, I got more and more interested in how could we be more awesome together? And that's what got me into this other work I do, which is teams and team performance and the stuff called core protocols uh, that I'm, I'm sure we'll be chatting about as we go. Wonderful. And uh, I love your use of the word awesome there. Uh, <laughs> I've recently discovered, I know there's a, there's a, a great term or a, a common term that we in the agile world use for definition of done. And I, I've actually recently been discovering definition of awesome. So definition of done is like your, your current state, where you are today, uh-huh. what it means to be done. But then your definition of awesome is might, might be where you aspire towards. So it could be your current definition of done is just, well, you want to have X amount of test coverage, but your definition of awesome is it's all automated in the future. So it kind uh-huh. of gives you a, here's where you are today and here's where you'd like to be. And it can help we- with your progression towards that. We we could write we could write a, an addendum to the Scrum Guide. We could call it the Awesome Scrum Guide, and it, it would is. have yeah. You know, and, and to be doing awesome Scrum, you have to have a definition of awesome, and, mm. and we'll add on whatever it is that's going to make your team awesome and your product awesome. That's such a good idea. <laughs> Absolutely. So one of the one of the topics I was really keen to talk to you about, and it's obviously uh, relating to uh, your book, High Performance Teams. 
So to you, in your words, Richards, what is high performance? What does high performance mean? Sure. I, I've got kind of like two definitions of this. One is kind of an academic sounding or business sounding mm -hmm. definition. And one is kind of like for normal people. <laughs> so my <laughs> academic or businessy sounding definition. Uh, it, this is the kind of definition you'd find in a textbook. A high performance team is a team that objectively outperforms other teams that are doing similar work, right? It objectively outperforms other teams doing similar work. So it's something objective, something that there's evidence of it. Uh, and they have to be doing similar work, whatever, whatever their work is, whatever, whatever the thing is that they create. Um, so for example, you couldn't compare a football team and a software development team. They're doing different kinds of work. Right. They, they could both be awesome. They could both be great. They could both be high performing, but they're doing different kinds of work. So you can't really compare them, but you could compare two football teams. And, you know, I guess they're, they're football, soccer, depending on what, what accent you have. I was uh, about they're to doing clarify. Right Did now as the recording, right? There's Euro Cup, there's Copa America. There's all kinds of football teams, soccer teams being compared to each other to see which one is higher performing than the others. And we're, we're heading into the, the finals weekend for both tournaments. So we'll see which one is the highest performing of all of them. Uh, for software teams, same thing, right? You can, you can actually compare. There, there, there's, there's objective things you can look at, things you can measure, things you can just easily ask people. Uh, and and for, for, for software development teams, for IT teams, the things you could easily ask people, very informal measurements from the, from the state of DevOps research or the Accelerate book, uh, how, how long does it take you to get something done, right? You got, you got something on your product backlog, some user story or feature or something. How long does it take you to get it done? Are you really fast or not so fast? What's your batch size? How, how frequently do you, do you deliver to your customers really frequently or not very frequently? What's your quality level? How often do you introduce a, a major problem? Hardly ever or almost always. And when there is one of those big quality problems, how long does it take? What's your responsiveness? How long does it take you to fix it? We, we fix it right away. It takes us a really long time, right? So you, just four easy metrics that you can use to compare software development teams, IT teams. Now that's sort of the, the businessy or academic definition. A high performance team is a team that objectively outperforms other team, teams doing similar work. For the, for the rest of us, for normal people, a high-performance team, that even even high-performance team is, is jargon. Uh, it's jargon for it's a group of people who love each other, a group of people who care about each other a lot, a group of people who, when we're together, we just feel it in our body. There's there's something special happening. And it's not just like we feel in our body. It's there's something special happening because of what we're creating around us. Uh, the relationships that we have with each other are going into whatever work we're doing, whatever it is that we're creating. And it's good. It, it's, it's awesome. I, I use words like awesome all the time. <laughs> uh, to me, it's very American. It's also very English to say awesome or to say wicked. I'm, I'm from Boston. So wicked awesome. We could, we could write the wicked awesome scrum guide with wicked awesome teams. And they would be really, really high performing, really great teams, great teams where you, you just it feels good to be on that team doing the stuff you're doing and the stuff you're doing is, is actually really great. So that's, okay. that's what I'm thinking for, for how we define high performance team. Thank you for that. So we've got this, we've got this academic answer, which uh, brings in elements of metrics and statistics and data. And then you've kind of got the softer side answer, mm -hmm. which is around how do, how do you feel about working together? And actually 
uh, from my perspective, what I what I I personally believe is that a a high performing team is one that feels safe to hold each other accountable for being successful, for mm-hmm. delivering great results, and feels comfortable challenging and trying to hold each other accountable for achieving that. So being aware of what our our metrics are the, and the ones that matter. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm. I tend to coach away from too much focus on the productivity metrics, you know, the ones that are all about velocity and lead times yeah. and things like that. They are, they are yeah. great and they are useful and they have a purpose. But personally, I care more about how often a team engages with their users and their customers than I do about the, the sure. time it takes them to get something out. Because if they're frequently engaging with their users, constantly course correcting and ensuring they're on the right trajectory and delivering value, that to me is um, a better metric than just getting stuff out you know, just whatever how many how many wid- widgets you're you're chucking out there i find that far more valuable and equally some of the some of the things around um how much a team enjoys working with one another and enjoys their work you know my listeners will know i'm a big believer in bringing fun to the workplace so some of the the kind of softer elements to high performing teams to me are probably a little bit more powerful but that's my perfect personal view you bet you bet and and the way you started describing that was almost the textbook definition of psychological safety, right? We feel safe yes. to hold each other accountable. We feel safe to take risks, this and that. Another interesting part about that is that that's that's an outcome from the things you do together, mm-hmm. right? So you can't just tell people and, and often like read, read articles in the popular press about this. Psychological safety is a thing that's going to help your team be awesome. Do more psychological safety. You right. have psychological talk, safety, guys. You have it. <laughs> you need to do more psychological safety is, is what, what, what people will hear. But nobody knows what that means. Nobody knows how to do more safety, right? Uh, and, and so it's, 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 it's the outcome of lots of other behaviors, like there are concrete behaviors or habits that we can build together that will get us there, where we feel safe, where we feel that joy, we feel that friendship, and, and we're actually getting those outcomes i completely agree and i've i've observed and i've seen lots of examples where people are saying we know we've, we've recognized over the years um, that psychological safety is a, a hugely important thing now it wasn't it wasn't even dreamed of 20 years ago when the agile manifesto came out it wasn't wasn't relevant at the time nowadays we know how important it is and there's lots of there's lots of talks out there there's lots of content there's lots of things being shared in the agile community and otherwise about how important it is particularly given the uh, the pandemic and the fact that we're we're not all face to face and there are therein challenges as a consequence but as you say it's more than just words it's more than just saying we want you to have psychological safety For, to me as you as you alluded to it's it's the consequence you know psychological safety comes from a series of actions uh, environmental things demonstration of uh capabilities and, and ways in which psychological safety is sought and um provided for Exactly, exactly. And, and it could be uh, even just building little habits together, right? Mm. So, uh, oh, well, well, here's an example of safety. Um, we have permission to opt out. It's an explicit team agreement, maybe, that when you're invited to a meeting, it's actually an invitation. It's not a command. Mm. And it's okay not to be there if you're doing something better for yourself or better for the team. It's just, it's implied that if you decline the invitation, it's because there's something more important to do. And it's totally okay to decline an invitation. 
or it's totally okay in the middle of a meeting. I'm not going to do it to you, but in the middle of a meeting to, to leave because maybe it doesn't feel right or maybe there's something more important to do or to build a habit of even just sharing how we feel with each other. Okay. So like the academic way, sciencey way to say it is share our emotional state with each other at even make it, make it sound more academic at high frequency <laughs> uh, or just to share how we're feeling with each other, build a build emotional connection. Uh, it's a way of building group emotional intelligence, which is also there in the list of things that helps teams be more awesome along with safety. Um, what if we just got used to sharing how we feel with each other? We you know, acting like fr friends do this and people on really great teams do this. If you, if you watch really great teams, they, they share how they're feeling with each other and they, they just have this habit of, of, sharing what's on their mind, sharing what's in their hearts, uh, sharing their goals with each other. And they've got mutual goals that they're heading toward together. So this is actually something that I'm increasingly building into a lot of the, the agile ceremonies that I'm part of as a big fan of retrospectives. Yeah, retrospectives traditionally, there were always this stop, start, continue, liked, learned, loved, all these yeah. standardized formats that are a bit stale and repetitive. And I started doing these themed and creative and immersive ones, but building in sorts of questions that prompt the team to think about, okay, so how can we be there more for each other from a mental health perspective? What can we do to yeah. enable each other to speak out more? Trying to build in these psychological safety elements through how we retrospect with one another. Um, setting the context for unconditional positive regard by ensuring we talk about the, the retro prime directive at the beginning of every session, making sure it's focused on not on blame. We don't care about that. We, it doesn't matter what went wrong. We just want to focus on what we can do better next time round. Right. And I think what we've touched upon here is some of the, the systems you can put in place that provide an environment of psychological safety. You mentioned opt out. That's part of core protocols, which we'll discuss in a, well, yeah. in a moment. We've touched upon kind of the concept of team alliances and agreements, uh, things that people have bought into, ways they want to communicate, ways they want to deal with conflict, all these sorts of things that I think, unfortunately, perhaps a lot of teams and companies haven't got the, the basics of yet. And that's why they're needing to learn about how to do these psychological safety elements, because they don't have some of these things in place. Yeah. Exactly. So this brings me to my next question. Yeah. We talked about high-performing teams. So what, what, what one piece of advice would you give to anyone who is looking to help their team become high-performing? All right. Um, try something. <laughs> okay. Try something. Try something. Uh, you know, the, the evidence is that if you try something, you're probably going to be heading in the right direction. Uh, so try something. Another way of saying that might be a bias for action. Try I do that, that something. Mm. Don't, just, don't just think about it forever. Don't talk about it with each other until you know, the, the day ends and the next day starts and you're still talking about what you might try differently. Come up with an idea and do it. Mm. Uh, you know, just just like we do when we're writing code, just just write the code, see if it works. Don't don't talk about it forever. Just just do it. Do something. See what happens. Run a little experiment. Try something. Um, I'm 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 really excited about core protocols as an example of something you could try. It's not the only thing you could try, and there's there's lots of elements there that that are examples of things you could try that could be explicit agreements that you make with your teammates. Uh, making making these agreements explicit would make them safer, right? So, like, let let's agree 
Well, first, this is a, this is a good one. Let's agree on how to make an agreement. Let's agree on how to make a decision together. I don't know if that's Absolutely. the first thing you should agree on, but but it's a pretty good one. Uh, talk to people who've been working together for like twenty years, and they still aren't sure how they make decisions. Right? They go to a meeting, they just talk and talk and talk and talk, and they leave half an hour, an hour, a couple hours later, and they haven't decided anything, or they did decide something, but they're not sure how it happened, or or somebody declared that they made a decision, but the others don't agree, but they're keeping their mouth shut, their mouth shut about it. They don't know how decisions are made. So maybe that's a good agreement to make. How do we make agreements? How do we make decisions together? And, and we touched on a couple others, like it's okay to, it's okay to opt out. It's sort of a, a general way of saying the, the, the core protocols kind of jargon would be, it's okay to pass. It's okay to check out. Maybe, yeah. maybe adopt a practice. Uh, you were talking about uh, introducing new practices into a retrospective. Maybe start the retrospective with an emotion check-in. How, how are we all feeling? Maybe start every day. If you're doing some sort of daily stand-up or daily scrum, maybe start every day with a little bit of information about how we're feeling. Mm. Uh, get that get that data out there. And yeah, I, it will I, help I... us connect better as humans, which means we're going to be connected better as teammates, which means we're going to be doing, if you really care about doing better work, and not everybody does, but, you know, whatever it is you're doing together, whatever it is you're, you're, you're creating, it's going to be better if you're more connected as humans. I completely agree. And I, I love that, uh, that, that check-in concept. And I've been doing this a lot with uh, these town hall sessions that I facilitate on the, com- the company I'm working for. At the moment, we've got 100 plus people attending these things. And the very first thing I do is a check-in activity. And it's using a, a mirror, a virtual whiteboard, and I, I theme them. So I've had various ones. I've had images of you know, bad taxidermy and getting people just to rate which of these images they feel like today. And there's, you know, there's a, a weird looking fox and a scared looking polar bear and all sorts. You can get them to uh, cat meme ones. You can get, uh, I've had a, a great guy I know called Stephen Sampson Jones produce this, this visual of the various phases of Nicolas Cage where he's looking happy from his movies and one where he's looking like he's covered in bees and they're just random silly things, get people to check in and see how we're feeling. Right. And first of all, after doing that, you could acknowledge, right, everyone's feeling a bit tense at the moment it's a bit of a stressful time what can we do to ease some of those concerns what i also liked earlier is is when you were saying this bias towards action i think it's a great a great um, thing to be focused on i i have a similar uh, phrase uh, i'm I'm always using and it's to quote the immortal words of elvis a little less conversation a little more action yeah let's focus on a little less conversation a little more action what can we do to do that first experiment that small thing imperfect action is better than no action and I often remind teams that taking no action is a decision in itself. You can ask them, hey, are you guys happy with how things are going? If they say no, well, say, well, if you don't do anything, do anything differently, I mean, you are acknowledging that things won't change and you're yeah, accepting right. this as your reality. And, that, and you're deciding to keep and, doing it. Yeah. And you're deciding to keep doing that. And that is your decision. And if that's what you want, that's okay. But odds are you may be a bit frustrated again in a few weeks time if we came up and discussed this anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that focus on uh, on taking action, moving forward. I, I like that you bring in uh, a, a quote from Elvis Elvis Presley, of course, right? We'll add, course. add his surname on there. Uh, a, a singer, an entertainer, right? If mm. if your team is a musical group, it just doesn't matter how much talking you do. It, it's totally irrelevant. You got to be making music. If you're mm. not making music you're not really 
a musical group. If you're not making software, if you're not making this, not making that, not doing whatever it is that you do together, then you're not really doing it. So do, do more of it. Just, just act, just, just yeah, make some that. music. I got, I've got a piano over there and I just sit down and make music. You know, <laughs> now I'm a pianist. Now I'm a singer because why i'm not talking about playing piano i'm not talking about i am right now but because i go do it every day right i i write code why 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 can i say i'm I'm a i'm a code writer because i do it why can i say oh look why can i say i'm a podcast guest because i'm doing it (laughs) because you're doing it right i there's another topic I'm, i'm very keen to discuss with you i remember reading somewhere that you i did a complete 180 in your i guess uh advice to clients and customers about the about the remote working world you were firmly in the co-located camp uh, you believed that success was was definitely co-located what is it that you feel has uh, changed your mind what made you do that 180 and what is it that you see yeah, so, uh, as a benefit now for, for remote working compared to you're, you're quoting uh you're quoting elvis i was quoting the words of the immortal dua lipa dua lipa, dua lipa <laughs> yeah <laughs> I did a full 180. Uh, this was one of the songs I was playing a year ago, and it was fun. And, and I just had this phrase in my head. And, uh, you know, we, we had to change the way we were working. I absolutely believed that the only way we could feel really connected with each other, that the only way we could work frictionless with each other, the only way we could really amplify our individual creativity into team awesomeness was to be together in the same space. It's, it's easier. I mean, except when, if you're in the same space, you might all die. Aside from that, it's easier. Uh, And it was easier before COVID, I I think. Um, It was also like, because, because, you know, I wasn't alone in, in this, in this, this bias. Um, it was really expensive in terms of travel and impact on the planet, um, impact on our health. You know, if you're traveling all the time to be in the physical space together, it, it's really taxing on your body. So what if you couldn't do it? And, and finally, we did have this crisis where we couldn't be together and things change when you have a crisis, right? Uh, you have to make a change. So, so we made changes. Uh, you were talking about using Miro. I, I figured out, like, like you and so many other people, how to adjust what we were doing in physical space to make it at least as awesome as we do in online space. And I don't know, equally awesome, differently awesome, maybe even more awesome because we can, for those, for those times when we need to synchronize and, and be together in, in real time in synchronous online space, like you and I are right now, Chris, we've figured out ways to, to do it really well, right? So h- how to get people to interact, uh, how to get people to feel safe together, how to get people to share ideas and create together, even though they're not in the physical space anymore. And it totally worked, it turned out. I never would have done it if we hadn't had that crisis. I would have continued doing it the way I'd been doing it. It was working despite the costs, despite the dollars and travel costs and impact on the world and impact on people's health, my health and other people's. It felt like it was working. And 
there, okay, there really is no substitute for being able to shake hands or, or, or give somebody a hug. You have to be in physical space for that. And there is no substitute for that. But so many other things, you know, everything else we can do online, in, 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 in online space, in digital space, in virtual space, uh, we can do it. So, so for example, I've got, like you were talking about different retro templates. Uh, I've done the same thing. I have uh, one or two dozen templates for different kinds of work activities and learning activities. And it was because we had to do it. And I got to test them a lot too. So, so we got to debug them and know that they work. We got to test them over and over and over with different groups of people doing different kinds of work or in, or in different learning environments. And so we've debugged them all now. And, and they really, really do work really well. Excellent. One of the things that I was uh, keen to just dig a little bit deeper on there is, I guess, the, the differences between co-located team and uh, a virtual team. And I'm, I'm interested to see if you've observed any any key differences in psychological safety where you've got a team co-located versus, versus virtual. Because I know I've observed some, some differences. And I'm keen to hear what yours are. Sure. So what about safety in, in physical space teams versus digital space teams? Um, what are some of the differences? You know, one thing is, the, you know, sort of started with this idea of, of opting out it's much easier to check out of a digital space. I mean, I can, I can just do this and there I'm gone. <laughs> <We're both> gone. <laughs> right. I can, I can turn off my camera. I can turn off my mic. I'm gone. You can't make me come back. You can't, you can't go down the hall. You can't ask me what's happening. You can't try to coerce me in any way to come back. If I, if I need to be, if I need to opt out, I can just totally opt out. And, uh, and, and so, I, I have more safety there, right? Because I don't, I don't feel I'm, I'm, I'm literally not compelled to be there. You can't, you can't lock the door and keep me in the room with you. I, I'm, I'm really, there, there's nothing stopping me from leaving. So anytime we're together, it's because we want to be. And if we want to be, it's probably because it feels good to be together, that, that we actually do feel safe together to be able to do this, or that we are building up more and more of that sense of, of togetherness and, 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 and safeness together. Um, if I don't want to take my turn at something, right, I can, I can opt out of it. It's easy. I can just, uh, I can even make believe. I can just, you, you can just make believe like your, your mic doesn't work or your internet froze uh, and, and boom, it's not your turn. <laughs> so you might, you might be able to even to hack digital space, right? To, to give you the, a little bit more safety than in physical space. You can't do that in physical space. It's interesting you did that, that particular example, because that's actually something that I've done intentionally. And I'm happy to admit this. This is actually one of the things that I do. <laughs> I call it, I call it ethical experiments when I'm uh -huh. trying to gauge if a team is uh, getting to the point of being self-organizing, right? And I want to see if they'll just continue with the meeting in the absence of me as a coach, right. or if they'll, they'll go ahead. I might pretend that I've got audio issues and just see if they kick off the stand-up or a, a ceremony without me. Right. I might pretend that um, I've got internet issues and I can't make it on the call at all and just see if it still goes ahead. There's little things I'll do just to yeah. see if they, they still require my presence. So that exact example, well, I'm having audio issues, or oh, someone's at the door, I'll, <laughs> I'll be right back and just, just see what happens just as an, as an experiment. 
Yeah. So I like that example there. Uh, one of the things head. that I, I have personally observed with regards to, I guess, virtual teams versus co-locators is there is almost uh, an amplification of the, of the amount of psychological safety you have by the fact that these tools that you have access to now provide greater levels of anonymity. So if we were in a face-to-face -face environment and we're doing a town hall um, session, for example, and, and everyone stood there in the same space and it comes to Q&A time and someone has to ask a question, they have to raise their hand or they have to speak out and everyone can turn around and see who asked the question and, and there could be judgment yeah. as a consequence. But when you've got these virtual whiteboards and you can access it as a guest and you can just type something up and share a concern, you have that anonymity. So you might speak out and say things that you wouldn't do so. Same when it comes to retrospective and smaller knit teams. In the past, you'd all be crowded around a whiteboard and you'd write something up and you'd place it on the board and everyone would see exactly what you put. And then when you didn't get your thing voted up, you'd be, oh, I, I saw who voted for mine and who didn't. And there's all sorts of little things that come into play here. But when you've got virtual whiteboards that enable this anonymity, it can create an environment where people feel more safer to, to, to speak up, to, to challenge, to conf have conflict, but in a healthy way. So I've definitely seen that as a, a positive the other one in particular yeah, and, and, we, is... and we, we each and we each have more control over mm -hmm. our environment right so if you know i'm 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 a quieter person uh, if 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 there's a retrospective or whatever happening if there's a town hall happening and i need a minute to think i can just turn off the speakers and i get my minute to think which wouldn't happen mm -hmm. in physical space uh, if somebody's, if two people are talking to each other in physical space during a retrospective, and I'm still trying to think of ideas, I can make that stop in digital space and I get my quiet time back. Uh, so it's also helped quieter people a lot in, in a world of, you know, where, where louder people definitely dominate. dominate. It's, it's made it easier for quieter people to, to get our needs met as well. I, I see this in my stepdaughter. She's a quieter person too. Uh, she, she's in high school. She spent the whole high school year in digital high school, basically, even when she was invited back to the physical classroom, partly because of that, because she's a quieter person and she can control her quiet space better online. Interesting. The other observation that uh, I've, I've seen in particular around, I guess, the differences between the, the virtual and the, the physical is that my prep time uh, as someone going in to facilitate ceremonies, workshops or anything has reduced drastically now, because if I want to lead a workshop, my first port of call, if I've never done it before, I can see what's on the Miroverse or whatever everyone else has shared. And often I can access what they've created with a few clicks of a button and I can, co I can adjust that to my own needs. Or what I can do is reuse templates I've already done, whereas in the past, the time, the elapsed time I'd have to use for preparing for a session might include, right, I've got to get all my Sharpies and post-it notes and materials in my little backpack. I've got to carry them to a meeting room. I've got to draw things up on my nice whiteboard. And I'd probably spend half hour to an hour before a meeting preparing that. And then afterwards, that's, I can't reuse that. It's done. Sometimes I might be able to keep things and bring it to another session. Sure. But it means that my prep time and, and that actually the, the community element of sharing uh, what you can do with workshops, ceremonies, and otherwise, I think has, has grown as well, which I think is, is amazing. Yeah, for sure. And it's nice to, I, don't, I think we're both contributing to these communities with our, with our templates and things for, that, that we've been finding useful and for other people to try out as well. Absolutely. Right. There is, there is a, a tool that I believe you have uh, released around uh, comparative high performance behaviors. And mm -hmm. I, it uses data, data. And I, I love, I love data driven things. <laughs> it uses data to help teams improve. So how would you describe the benefit behind 
using data to help a team improve and what what benefits have you seen as a consequence sure uh, you know so so when we talk about agility or scrum or any of these things agility in general one of the things we're talking about is empiricism that we're using data that we're looking at that we're, we're, we're making observations we're looking at the facts as they're as they're presented to us and as we as we're able to perceive them and and we're trying to understand where we are we we're trying to we're trying to have goals that we're heading toward and we're we're making a, a, some sort of plan to move closer to our goals and uh, data is important to this empiricism being able to make observations and know where we are and know where we used to be be able to be able to gauge where we might be in the future uh, so the the comparative high performance teams instrument is is could could be an element of this for your team um, in in one branch of anthropology, people talk about knowing your knowing your current state, knowing your goal state, where you might want to be heading, and, and having some plan to get from your current state to your goal state. Uh, and any any kind of measurement instrument or assessment or survey or conversation tool, uh, facilitation technique, they, they can help you do both. Help you understand your current state, how things are going today. Sort of just a different kind of mirror that you can hold up in front of yourself and your team and help you understand the possibilities for where you might want to be headed and help you build a little plan for getting from here to there. Uh, so the, the comparative high performance teams instrument is, could, could be a tool for that. It helps you understand uh, the behaviors that you have right now and how closely they match what people have observed as behaviors of high performance teams. And just give you a give you an index. Where where are you right now? And and by doing it, you'll get some ideas for well. Oh, the, these are the behaviors of high performance teams. Maybe some of these could be our, our our goal, our goal state. And we could we could make some sort of plan for getting from here to there. So it's a nice tool for that. So what I like about that, and what I love about the description, is that it's it's one option. It's one option you have that a team may leverage in the pursuit of continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. I have increasingly. Uh, discovered that my my best description for agile these days and, and scrum being one of them is that it's just a continuous experiment a continuous learning if you think of a sprint um, and tobias may was was telling me about this as well he said a sprint is just an experiment what can you learn in the next few weeks that will further your understanding of something and enable you to adjust your approach accordingly and the same goes for teams when it comes to high performance where are you currently where mm -hmm. could you be and here are the options that you could try and you could pick you know, a small version of those, try it, learn from it. If it doesn't work, that's fine. Try something else. Um, yeah. yeah, you've got many tools at your disposal. And, and this this comes back to how I, I describe Agile as well. Agile to me is just an array of tools that you have at your disposal, whether that's you, you're going to leverage Scrum, Kanban, uh, any of the scaling frameworks. I tend to be Agile agnostic and therefore mm -hmm. I'm not there to prescribe any particular way of doing things but what I want to do is help you as a company and a team find what works for you and that could be borrowing bits and pieces from all of them if it needs to be because that might match your situation your culture your people and your needs and the idea of having yeah a way of seeing where you currently are versus where you could be I think is a is a great great thing and then in, in, a, in a retrospective kind of environment um sometimes I, I, I think uh so this is where 
the the role of an experienced coach or scrum master or team facilitator, whatever you want to call this person, that's where their role is really important, right? Without their experience and know-how and ideas that might help the team go in the direction they want to go, at the you know the, the team could just pick a random thing, or they might not even know the things that are possible, the tools that are available, the options that they might have. It uh, a, 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 a scrum team could be like, um, you know, in, in, in computer science, they used to call this a, a random walk along a graph. Like they could just be, try going that way, try going that way, try going that way, try going that way, see if it works. Rather than that, it could, we could be more intentional about it. And the, the, the role of that team facilitator, coach, scrum master, guide, shepherd, whatever you call it, part, part of that role is to share the options and maybe even intentionally influence the direction that we're going based on the observations that, that we're all making together and based on the, the, the shared goals that we have. You know, here's, here's something that in, in past experience has worked for other teams that I've been involved with or, or that, I've, that I've read about works for other teams and and we could do an experiment and try it and see if it works for us as well i completely agree um and and that experimental nature is exactly what i emphasize when when it comes to change people are often resistant to change because it's it's human evolution we like seeking the path of least resistance we like our homeostasis um but finding some small change moving in that direction and letting people know that it's not set in stone that just because we're trying this doesn't mean that's the, how we're going to work forever can do a great uh can do a great thing in terms of encouraging people to try change and it's all contextual isn't it so you might have a team that's very very mature and their needs of an agile coach or, or facilitator or shepherd whatever you want to call that their needs may differ from a, a new team who just need to be shown what good looks like they might not know what experiment to try or what might work best and that's where you might need to leverage more of your experience what you've seen work well in the past or or otherwise but when it's a mature a more mature team and they've they've already already tried lots of things it might be that's where you're saying well I've seen this new idea that I've read about. I haven't tried it before, but we could try it and it might work for the situation. Yeah. Again, it's all, it's all highly contextual, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I'm keen to talk to you about retrospectives. What is your favorite retrospective formats? My favorite retrospective is uh, it's, it's one of these tools from core protocols. It's perfection game. Uh, Okay. So, so perfection game is a, a way to, give or receive feedback. It's usually done in combination with, like, with asking for help, right? Because it turns out that feedback doesn't work most of the time. There's, there's at least a little bit of research on this. Feedback doesn't work because most of the time it's done to you uh, mm-hmm. rather than because you asked for it. So it's usually not the right time. And people are telling you what you're doing wrong. At least this is how it, it, it feels. And your, your limbic system reacts against, the, against this. Your, your lizard brain reacts against this. And, and you start to defend yourself. You go into fight or flight mode. And you can't, you can't hear what people are saying. And you just have to defend yourself or run away. So this is why feedback doesn't work typically. It's done to you. But if it's when you want the feedback, if you explicitly ask for it, it's something you're interested in improving in yourself, then it totally works. Feedback totally works. And especially if it's done in a, in a way that has a bias toward positivity. So perfection game does that. 
uh, it's a way to, to you can say you can say will you, will you help me with something? Give me feedback on this. Uh, would you will you help me by doing perfection game on this with me? Perfection game is you give it a score from one to ten. How good is it on a scale from one to ten? Where ten would be it is the best, most awesome. It couldn't possibly be any better. Uh, say what you liked about it. Things that you could amplify. Things that you might do more of. And what else would it take to be a ten? The the most amazing, awesome thing ever. All right. So there's nothing there that's negative. There's nothing there about what I don't like or what you're doing wrong. And 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 again, because of that that lizard brain thing that we have, we don't react against it. We can hear it. And we can maybe even take that advice and do something with it. So I, I like perfection game as a team retrospective tool. And that, that retrospective would go like this. Hey, everybody, let's reflect on our team and what we've been doing for the last sprint that's just ending right now. Uh, give, give, let's give ourselves, every person individually, come up with your own score from 1 to 10. How close are we to being the best, most amazing team that ever existed in the history of all the universe? Okay, now, what was so good about our team that gave it whatever score you chose? And people will make that list of things, you know, on, on paper or on in, in, in digital tools. And third question, uh, what else would it take for us to be the most awesome team that ever existed in the history of all the universe? And these are all the these are all, all the all the awesome change and improvement ideas. And there's nothing threatening about it. Any one of these ideas we could try out, uh, whatever data we've collected, we can put together and, and, and figure out what the insights are and come up with some action plan. Uh, nobody could possibly feel bad about any of this or feel blamed by, by any of these ideas. It's all, what are we doing really well that we could do more of? And what else could we do to be even better? And I find that it's, it's such an easy tool and such an effective tool for individual feedback, for feedback on anything that anybody's created, any, any work artifact or any, any kind of artistic creation, and for the team. How could, how could we be the best team ever? It's, it's, it's an easy and effective tool. Sounds like a great one. And I love the focus on the, the positivity side of things that um, you know, I, I always aspire whenever I'm creating any new retrospective template to build in some element of celebration of how great the team is doing, whether that's recognizing the good work others are doing, whether it's, you know, if it was the Queen theme rock band one, for example, singing the song, we are the champions and celebrating what kudos we need to give because we've been champions this time around, whatever that may be, celebrating some element of what we've done well, because there will always be something. And yeah, I, I want to remove the element of focusing on the negatives because sometimes that can happen in retrospectives. And I, it sounds like to me that particular format might be great for a team where there has been maybe a history of blame and, and there might not quite be the psychological safety there yet. And just getting it yeah. focused purely on what's going really well uh, can maybe remove some of those uh, historic challenges. Yeah. Oh, and you're bringing it back to psychological safety, which is not something you can tell people to be. Do, do more psychological safety, feel more safe. Here's an example of a tool or a, a practice or a habit that we could have with each other that will yield more safety together. Completely. Mm. Final question then, and this is one I ask every guest on the show. If you could add any new retrospective format or theme to my backlog to create, Richard, what would it be? <laughs> and the world is your oyster here. We've had 
We've had Taco Tuesday from Mike Cohen. Tobias Mayer suggested International Bat Appreciation Day. I haven't created that one yet. It's a bit obscure. Um, it could be anything you fancy. So, yeah, go wherever your mind takes you and add something to my backlog. Oh, gosh. I don't know. I don't know. Put Just put perfection game on your on your backlog. It's it's easy. It works. I'll create it for whatever it you want. Exist, yeah, I'll create a perfection game Use one. it for individual stuff. Use it for artifacts you've created. Use it on yourself. Uh, how about you do it? Play perfection game on on your backlog of retrospective topics. <laughs> Give it a score Very from good. one to ten. What what do you like about it, and what else would it take to make it the best backlog ever? I'll give that a go. I do regularly ask for people to add things to my backlog because, to be honest, it's a backlog for other, others rather than yeah. rather than my own needs. Every now and then, I will just get an, a, an urge to create one, uh, just based on something I've seen or I'm inspired by. But usually, it's it's me creating them on behalf of others and being customer centric about it. Okay, it's been an absolute pleasure to host you on the on the podcast today, Richards. Uh, do you have any final sh- thoughts to share with our listeners? Uh, no, th- thank thank you, Chris. It's been really great being here. Uh, great, great becoming friends with you, having this conversation. Uh, if anybody wants to find out anything else about me, you can visit my website. It's kasparowski.com. Uh, we've got a bunch of um, digital tools that you can find there uh, through my blog. We've got my podcast. We've got all kinds of fun stuff. So visit my website and uh, and stay connected with me. Wonderful. It's been a pleasure to have you here today. We are always looking for for new guests to appear on the show. So if any of your listeners or any of the listeners would like to be involved or know someone you'd like to be involved, do reach out. As always, folks, don't stop believing. And thank you very much, Richard. Thank you for sharing. My pleasure. See you. You've just listened to another episode of the Virtually Agile podcast. Don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things Agile. If this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.